back. This is Matthew Keeble with the Northern Miner Podcast. And once again, we are joined by one of our favorite guests, uh, Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so we're back in the coffee shop where we usually are. Um, and Joe, this is a, a very apropos time to be talking to you because we've seen, uh, we were talking a bit before we went on air about all the gold deals, the precious metal deals, some base metal deals. Um, and all the different structures they're taking. So we're seeing some JVs, uh, some equity investments, some straight takeouts. We saw Integra and El Dorado yesterday. Um, so maybe a little bit of uh, discussion on where you see that M&A market and what all this is telling you right now about precious metals. Sure. Oh, so, so, I mean, when I worked in corporate development for a big gold company, we would do a lot of these placements in companies with exploration projects we'd be interested in. So that's, I, th I don't think that's anything new, mm -hmm. but I think now what you're seeing is that people taking more advantage of it and we see a lot more project earnings where like in some instances like Newmont with that project in, uh, in the Yukon or in, oh, uh, on yeah, the plateau, Gold Strike, Gold yep. Strike yep. that project is, is something that they think differently than the company about what potentially could be there okay. and they want to operate it. And they want to spend their money and put their people on the ground, potentially because they're thinking one thing, and uh, they don't think the company's got the uh, the skill set or that uh, to do it the way they want to do it. Yeah. So they'll do it that way. And they want more control, probably. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then you can get another instance where the company is more confident that the management team is doing exactly what they want, mm -hmm. such that they'll do the equity placement to keep funding their exploration like we own one called Alicanto uh, AQI on the ASX in uh, in Guyana where Barrick has got a joint venture and earn in and basically that earn in funds their exploration project you but Barrick's pretty hands off pretty hands off yeah but you know they got a technical team in there but really they trust these guys to do exactly what they're doing and, and find something mm. that they think that might be uh, good for them. And once it gets to a specific size, obviously, they'll try to take it out, but but right now it's not at that stage. Mm. And so every company looks at, I think, risk and reward at their own stage and the, the thing is, people got to realize that is, is that exploration done by a major is more difficult nowadays with the safety regimes they impose. They're... Uh, you know how they do H and R and all all that sort of thing, and so it costs them more money. It takes them more time, and so they would probably prefer the junior do it, okay. unless they're super keen, and then they want to put their guys down, and then they'll invest the money, the capital, the time. Like, why would a major want well, junior I mean, equity? Well, it, it, it's sort of I, I, the analogy would be like like marking your territory by urinating on a tree. Okay. So once you do that, the other yeah. suitor would smell that tree and you want to back off. Yeah. But what we haven't seen in this market is a lot of multiple bids, mm -hmm. such that the urinating on the tree analogy sort of falls flat because there's nobody going to be smelling that tree. Yeah. So yeah. do you really need to do it? And so what I've seen is some of the private placements been done in conjunction with a joint venture on the project earn-in, okay. and then they also do a private placement to help give the money, give the company some money to handle their part of the earning, okay. you know, uh, but yeah. but Newmont's private placement in Continental was For a yeah. was was very specific in that we like this project, we like what the company is doing, we actually prefer they keep going in terms of developing it because they got it permitted, 
They've handled the social license to operate. We don't operate in Colombia. Yeah. So they prefer they did it, and they yeah. have a lot of confidence in the company, I believe. See, that's a little different, though. You usually see, to not see a, a, a company of Newmont size take out an asset of that stage. Like, it's very rare you see that they want a junior to build and or operate an asset. Well, I, I doubt if they want them to operate it, yeah. but I think the 19.9 or whatever stake right now gives them a foothold to say, well, if we're comfortable being in Colombia, if we think we can mine it, if we can find the underground miners, this is the project we would want. Yes. And then there's also exploration upside that can that we could that we see that you know maybe we could we could generate because I'm not spending a lot of money on grassroots exploration and now Columbia opens up a new territory for me because their most recent mine that they built on a shoestring uh, actually on budget and on time was Marion in Suriname. In Suriname. So they're thinking that maybe they could do this, but what I caution people in 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 this is that you know Newmont hasn't built an underground project uh, in South America. Yeah. So, they, uh, but it's not Tahoe, their specialty, as they say. Exactly, yeah. but the yeah. but the guy who's the COO for Continental has. Yeah. And yeah. he's got a lot of experience in Latin America, and he's built uh, you know. Uh, uh, Tahoe's project in Guatemala in, in, yeah. in, in a worse circumstance than, than Colombia. Yeah. So I, I think they probably trust him more than they probably have the staff with his kind of um, uh, expertise. So it's interesting they'd be buying something that's a bit out of their comfort zone as far as operational. But it points to yeah. the fact that we've been stressing for a while is that there's not a lot of assets that work and interestingly enough that their reserve price which is 1200 yeah uh, that's the same price that that uh, their uh, feasibility study is at uh, uh, is, is it like over 30 percent I believe IRR yeah at yeah. 1200 so there's not too many projects that work at that level yeah so if you're if you're fine with that and Newmont's just been depleting their reserves in the last few years mm-hmm. their exposure to South America has been decimated as they had to take the big cut in uh, in uh, taking six and a half million ounces or so off of reserves for Conga, yeah. Uh, so they probably want to get more exposure to South America. They like they're, it. They're they're they're, they're like underexposed there. to South yeah. America compared yeah. to their exposure right now to West Africa. Yeah, which is it's. We'll talk about juggling geopolitical yeah. risk a bit later because we're seeing a lot of that. Yeah. Um, right now, uh, but before we do get into um, a little bit more on. Uh, on, on that reserve thing you were talking about and, and how majors are sort of trying to build that reserve and how this might all play out and what you think about it, I wanted to ask you, as a junior, somebody who holds junior stock, what structure would you prefer the major take in your junior company? I guess it depends on the company. Mm-hmm. If the company needs a big um, you know, stamp of approval yeah. from a major, then a project earning is a, is a really great stamp of approval. Yeah. And the unfortunate part of it is is that you end up with a minority stake in a project that's run by somebody else, such as suggesting that the M&A for you would be lessened. What's interesting now is that we had Mariana Resources, which had 30% of a very high-grade, high-potential asset in Turkey. Geopolitically, not a great place. Nope. So we never thought that, the, that somebody from outside would take a minority stake, regardless of the quality of the asset, in a geopolitically risky place like Turkey. Yeah. But Sandstorm already got to know the project through that royalty portfolio they bought with Tech. Exactly. So as they understood the asset, and streaming right now with the financing risk abated is not a really great model. Yeah. 
to find really good assets that want streams. Nobody with a great asset wants a stream. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So here's an ability to use potentially, you know, your comparative advantage in negotiating, hopefully, at Sandstorm Mm -hmm. to buy this company for that 30% free cash flow and try to convert it with the local Turkish partner into a stream. Who's the majority partner? Who's the majority partner operating, takes away the geopolitical risk in terms of permitting and uh, being in Turkey. But as you are a streamer with a portfolio of streams and rightly or wrongly get discounted at 3 to 4% on your free cash flow generation from the streams, you might not see that hit from the geopolitical risk of Turkey that Mariana would that makes sense. as being a single asset company and so you'd end up being like a, a Pisha sort of thing where you make a lot of money yeah. but you're getting discounted at 10 to 15% because you're in Eritrea or you're in Turkey. Yeah, that was a really interesting deal because it's very rare you see a streaming company take out a project. But if I, you can see yeah. that happening then those 30% on the joint venture earnings might actually mean something to yeah. a shareholder going forward if, if a streamer might look at that yeah. and yeah. say, hey, I'll take that out and then I can negotiate a stream. So it's not dead money waiting for the build, waiting for the free cash flow to come out in three or plus years. Yeah. It, something could be triggered before that. Well, it's very interesting because um, what that sort of gives Sandstorm is interesting because... Well, there's a like, huge ARB there for you. Yeah, there's a huge, huge ARB. That's what I would think, right? Because you're bringing a portfolio, you're bringing yeah. an asset into a portfolio that the analysts tend to look at all as one single cash flow exactly. and tend to discount yeah. it ridiculously because they're not mining it. Yeah. But we know that there is mining and capital risk because we've seen it where this this cash flow from the stream becomes a binary event that either you get it or you don't. Yes. And if it's very high cost, you could end up not getting anything. Well, that's what the streamers always, that's their sales pitch is we insulate you from operational and jurisdictional risk. That is, I think that's on all their that. websites. Yeah. But as, as yeah. long as they do that, from the perspective of the junior miner, great. Because yeah. then yeah. they could see it as a 3 to 4% discounted free cash flow. Yeah. But yeah. you're selling, your only option on the market is 10%. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And um, while we're talking, uh, I just wanted to circle back on your point. You are talking about reserves, depleting uh, reserves. And uh, I saw the uh, the piece you did, Too Big to Fail, uh, on the gold majors recently at uh, explorationinsights.com. Everybody, please check it out. It's a great piece. It's actually free, I think, right? It so is free. Yeah, so go circle over there and grab that. It's, uh, it's a really cool article. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that. We've seen, um, obviously, we talked about the JVs, the equity investments. We've seen that in the Yukon, uh, Barrick attack. But, I mean, you could yeah. take that Barrick attack, ATAC, um, and, 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 and look at it versus Agnica. So here's two companies that made private placements. But that Agnico private placement didn't really change ATAC because they were almost like a silent partner saying, hey, good job, nice, here's some you know, yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. But Barrick went in there all keen on it and said we're going to help you with the technical team we're not only doing an equity placement we're going to do a joint venture and now you could see the project moving forward because Barrick's much keener on it I mean it's yeah. still going to be a 5 to 10 year oh, yeah. window for that project yeah. but they know in terms of their reserves and what the future holds that maybe in 10 plus years the infrastructure in the Yukon changes like something there would work yeah and I mean that the, the interesting thing is, as you mentioned earlier, that deal is one of those hybrid deals where they have the deal on a specific part of the property, but they are also yeah. taking the equity interest in a, in a tap. But the Orion area is all the bear right but now. We, we've got yeah. the same thing with gold. Um, 
Gold Road Resources we own on the ASX, and yeah. they. They basically got a land package that covers almost an entire greenstone belt in Western Australia. Yeah. It's for more, but Goldfields came in there, yeah. paid them for half of it. They're sitting on a lot of cash. Mm -hmm. They could fund their 50% of the build-out of the Gruer uh, project, but also in they own still 100% of the northern Yermana uh, yeah. uh, land package that they can do what they're good at. And this is what you want. You don't want an explorationist to build a project. You'd rather them have the money to keep doing what they're good at. And what they're good at is finding another Gruer. Yeah. And if we can find that, that's great. We don't want them doing the design on an open pit and thinking about the tailing. Let yeah. Goldfields worry about that. Yeah. And then the miners don't actually have to employ explorationists. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But the thing is that we get that. Yeah. We get a cashed up junior, yeah. fully funded for its exploration project, but also fully funded to generate potential free cash flow from the asset. My great uncle was a large fan of that business model yeah. back in the early tech days. Yeah, yeah. very big fan of, of having that sort of separate junior entity that ran all the exploration, and then the big guy would come in at the end with all the mind building expertise. And his big thing was always keep your mind building team together, no matter whatever, whatever it costs keep your experienced mind building guys together and you can just move them around. And, yeah, but yeah. I think they have to also learn that you got to keep your really good explorationists yeah. as well. Yeah. Because what we're finding now is that a lot of the expertise is in some of these juniors and not in the majors. Yeah. Because yeah. they've let a lot of these people go. Yeah. So they're almost dependent on the juniors for the expertise regionally, yeah. geopolitically, um, asset-wise, yeah. understanding where they can and where they can't go. Even down to staking prospect all of that, that yeah. all of that yeah no no i totally agree with you and i mean interesting when we talk about uh, one of the pieces in in your too big to fail major article you talked a little bit about about size and growth and uh bringing reserves back and uh re-establishing them i'm just wondering um i've almost got the impression from you on occasion that you think a gold company can get too big yeah and like where do you see them today like do you think they're going to run right back to chasing those multiples and making those deals so when we looked at this piece on the the majors yeah. every major is at a different situation you've got these bigger than 10 billion companies that have done well yeah but they've done well not only by shrinking so in terms of economies of scale they've been at diseconomies of scale yeah. where they've pushed right through a higher long-run average cost and now to divest themselves go back on the curve back to a sweet spot where they can have a reserve profile that they can actually replete mm -hmm. with projects that generate a, a decent IRR, internal rate of return. Yeah. The problem is that when you have to replete, you know, um, an annual reserve depletion of seven to eight million ounces, yeah. it's hard to find projects that work because uh, they have bigger footprints, higher upfront capital, yeah. and and so they're not only harder to permit, they attract NGOs. Yeah. And they also, uh, you know, uh, they don't really have great returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're They're basically a foothold into saying, okay, I've got a million ounces for 20 years. There you go, yeah. Okay, and that's so you need those kind of assets. Yeah. But the problem now, the gold price is still around 1230. Yeah. And so if your gold price reserves are 1200, there's not a lot of stuff of yours that works, and Barrick knows that, and 30% of their stuff probably doesn't work. So divestments... Yeah. Is there issued going from a disc economy of scale to an economy of scale? And Gold Corp seems to think they're on the other side of the curve going towards an economy of scale. 
Hence their acquisition of Cerro Casale yeah. and their acquisition of Exeter to get a big footprint in a geopolitically friendly mining jurisdiction with infrastructure issues around power and water. Yeah, and great issues. Huge great issues. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, that's, that's a long-term optionality play, as they say, but they're funding it. Yeah. So one major stood back, Kinross. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and basically, Barrick D, uh, I mean, uh, sort of, yeah, moved the sidelines a, a little bit. A bit yeah, of a yeah. And this is, I just, for the uh, context of this discussion, Chero Casale, I had these numbers, is, is about 1.2 billion tons of 0.6 grams yeah. gold. And Caspice, uh, Capiche? Caspice. Caspice uh, is at 1.4 billion tons at 0.51 grams. Yeah, and, and, and it's got copper as well, and yeah, low, low a little rate, bit of copper, point one point two percent copper. But these yeah. would be copper concentrates that yeah. they'd produce. Yeah, um, maybe a bit of dore if they've got a leached cap. But yeah, so this is the way that they're thinking about it is by if if I can make all these deposits, I can make all these deposits economic by by using infrastructure, common infrastructure like power, a desalinization plant. Yeah. Um, you know, piping concentrate down, and then suddenly I can make these work. Yeah, maybe at fifteen plus hundred dollar gold, yeah, and three dollar copper, maybe that's what it takes. But yeah, I don't know what's the rush, right? Well, that is a question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, we were talking again before we came on the show. Um, we've also seen a bit of this in base metals. Uh, we've seen South Thirty Two, obviously the BHP spinoff. Uh, just put the hundred million ish in Arizona mining, which uh, the Hermosa deposit, and then we also see them jump into Trilogy Metals um, and the Bornite or uh, the Arctic thing, Arctic and Bornite, in, and Bornite in Alaska. And I, I think it's interesting. Um, you've ar- you've often made the comment that base metals and they run their business a little bit better. You think the yeah. base the base metal side of the business. So I'm wondering what you think about sort of that business model on the base metal side and what we could see moving forward with M&A for base. Well, I think it's a good indication that says some of these big companies don't have these kind of projects in their portfolio and they need them. And so, you know, if you're looking for a trigger, you might not have one. Like, um, you know, Trilogy Metals for me, I've met them a couple of times. We like the grade. Mm -hmm. Access is an issue and I know the road's going to take a year, a year and a half potentially to permit. And that's a big issue for them, you know, and that's a huge trigger for them. Mm -hmm. But in the 12 to 18 months or whatever to get there, I don't see a big catalyst coming forward. So it looks, you know, technically like a dead stop. But that might not stop a company from coming in and saying, hey, here's the money, because they're on a completely different timeline to us as an investor in the equity and trilogy. And I think this comes down to the point that you made, um, which is the quality of assets right now is just relatively low. Do you think there's an element of this where there's just these companies with cash are in such a tight spot to deploy it from somebody, be that investors or their board or whomever, that they're rushing out to just grab whatever they think is at least marginally acceptable in, in the market? Like, I'm, I'm hoping that they think it's more than marginally acceptable. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I, would, I would think that they would be looking at it from their point of view as not only like what do they need in terms of an asset profile to you know just to keep their production profile the same but also politically geopolitically how do they get the future profile that they want in terms of geopolitical risk Mm -hmm. so you know uh, the Integra purchased by El Dorado and El Dorado's in a lot of these countries where people don't want to go 
and at one point they were getting a premium for doing it. Yeah. Now they're not getting a premium for doing it. They're loaded with cash after making the sale of the Chinese assets, mm. and they made the foothold into Integra, and they just completed the purchase uh, earlier this week. Yeah. So yeah. they're yeah. as much as it's in, like, hey, here's a project that we could potentially do. It's about hey, you know, geopolitically, we want to get a little bit lower to, uh, you know, to get more people interested in our stock. And we were talking a little bit before we went on air as well about. Uh, juggling that geopolitical risk because we were also talking about the Centera Mount Milligan. Yeah, if most of your profile is geopolitically risky, yeah. um, you know, people will look at mm -hmm. discounting your cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've got a portfolio of assets and every now and then you've got an asset in a sort of iffy location, yeah. you know, people may not worry about it as much as, as long much. as it's a low proportion of your net asset value. But if it's all there, you will get dinged for it. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I can't help but wonder if, I mean, um, from a point of view of that, obviously we talked to death the Mount Milligan deal and all the debt that was taken on and how it wasn't the most popular move for a company that maybe had a lot of cash and then didn't have any afterwards. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, do you think there's a propensity for these companies to maybe make bad deals because they overvalue geopolitical safety? Um. I mean, the propensity for people to make bad deals yeah. is basically, if we look at the multiple billions of dollars of impairments, yeah. there is no restriction on making a bad decision. I mean, everybody has made them before, yeah. and there's nothing to tell me going forward that any of the decisions are going to get much better. Yeah. yeah. Well, all we could do is that we could look at quality assets that, that have a downside protection with the quality of the asset as opposed to taking, you know, an idea that potentially this asset's going to be taken out, but if it doesn't get taken out, we're basically screwed because it's really not a great asset. Yeah, yeah. So if a company makes a mistake and gets a bad asset, you know, good for the company that got taken out, but it's hard for us to predict that sort of thing going forward, that yeah. people will make stupid mistakes. Yeah, and I mean, you and Brent had both told me previously um, that and you even mentioned in this segment that you had been looking at the ASX quite a bit and, and yeah. sort of opportunity-wise, you saw it as a bit maybe more upside opportunity down on that yeah. exchange. Um, and I'm just wondering um, where you are on that now and sort of what's uh, the investment thesis as far as where we're looking at the moment. Well, I mean, we, I mean, like Gold Road, like I said, I yeah. mean that's ASX listed. I don't mm -hmm. think they have a thought of going on the TSX. Yeah. But it's got a big enough liquidity, big enough market cap. It's already got the footprint by a major in yeah. terms of verifying what they have been doing. Uh, and they basically took the project through a feasibility study, got it permitted, and had the major come in. And this is in Western Australia. This so you're not Western worried Australia. about no, uh, no, geopolitical risk. As we we've got about. another company, uh, you know, Hammer Exploration, Hammer Metals, sorry, mm -hmm. that's got, like, I used to work in the Mount Isa district in uh, Western Australia, I'm sorry, in, in Queensland, when I lived in Australia. And uh, it, it it sort of struck me as strange that a junior company with a market cap that they have, which is, I believe, 10 or 15 million Australian, could have one of the biggest land packages in the Mount Isa Inlier. And they yeah. are, and that's a function of the fact that Glencore is not an exploration company, no. and Chinova is basically not either. And so no. they left a lot of ground open. And these guys have a joint venture with Newmont looking specifically for copper. Yeah. And this is funny in that Newmont is obviously a gold company. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. But with the loss of Batu Ishao, they probably feel that they could add copper yeah. Yeah. without the market take, giving them a big discount in terms of their multiple. Well, hopefully they don't end up in a bare copper situation. Yeah, but they're exploring. Yeah. They're not buying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah but I no, mean, so sense. all I'm saying is that these guys have a footprint by a major doing a project earning on a specific project, mm -hmm. and they've got a huge land package with more potential. So in terms of what we're doing in the ASX, it's no different than the TSX, but we have a bit of a discount. The disadvantage is, mm -hmm. it's obviously a liquid, yeah, just like yeah. most exploration companies, yeah. but your news flow, you might not find something out until the Sunday when the market opens in, in, in Australia. Yeah. And so we've got that kind of issue with the Australians and a lot of our subscribers can't deal with that kind of ASX sort of listing. But in terms of what we like, we, if we find the same company that's doing the same thing at a 30 to 40% discount, it's on the ASX, we'll take it. Yeah, I would take that too, that's yeah. for sure. And I mean, uh, you talked about exploration pipelines. And I think that's interesting because, I mean, we've seen maybe a bit of a surge around brownfield sites. There's still a lot of drilling going on in Quebec. We just talked about Integra El Dorado. <laughs> they drilled nearly 200,000 ounces to increase their M&I by 50%. Uh, Cisco at Windfall Lakes drilling hundreds of kilometers. We've seen Richmond do it. Um, I mean, from your point of view, are you looking at Greenfield, right? Like, would you, if a company has sort of a, I hate to say anomaly because I hate when people pitch anomalies at me, but like, how are you guys feeling about looking at earlier stage opportunities now? That's probably what we've done mostly. Yeah. Uh, after we basically uh, sold a lot of the ones that we got bought out in terms of producers like New Market, Claude, and Lakeshore, we've been slowly going back to prospect generators and explorations. Okay. Okay. Um, and so what we're looking for is a good team, district-scale land packages, yeah. uh, with an analog that makes sense for a major. So, you know, Nighthawk Gold is one we, we, yep. we bought. Well, if we just take Nighthawk, district-scale land package, a new view yeah. of, an old, of a district that was mined before looking for something completely different mm -hmm. that the old miners missed. And so if you looked at it, you go, oh, well, they're looking for more of this low-grade stuff good metallurgy but low grade in the arctic that yeah. was mined out by this group well no not really yeah. because they've drilled these rich high grade nice shoots holes, yeah. and that's yeah. what they're and they've got a completely different geological model well in the north's getting interesting i mean some of the stuff going on around the nunavut and yeah. nwt camp and i think for me personally on, on also in terms of our portfolio like sabina yeah. waiting for the trigger of that, um, you know, uh, none of it investment review board, yeah. uh, you know, uh, recommendation. Well, I, I, a lot of people think that's inevitable. That's, if they, yeah, if, if they, they get can that, get that, yeah. and then uh, whereas we're seeing, you know, the lack of projects that work at this kind of gold price in a safe geopolitical risk jurisdiction with a decent land package, which they're drilling based on the, uh, you know, flow through finance. So they're also trying to quantify some of that going forward and not just sitting on their hands. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a good one. Yeah, you know? yeah, and no, I, I know a lot of people who really love that. I, I regretted when it was below a dollar that I didn't look closer at that. But uh, the other thing we I have no regrets about. Yeah, you have no regrets. regrets. <laughs> yeah, you guys feel pretty good about it, right? Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, is you did mention uh, in your article you actually flagged El Dorado because of their cash position. You said, "Well, watch these guys because they might be looking around." I mean, you said you had some a list of a couple other companies that have high cash positions that you think might be looking. Well, I mean, El Dorado did, yeah. I mean, in terms of Integra, but I think they still have a, a room, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm not sure if Integra is going to, how much of a needle it'll move in terms of geopolitical risk, but yeah. it's a step in the right direction for them. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I would point to IM Gold as well. They yeah. have a significant cash, mm -hmm. and so uh, will they make a deal? Yeah. yeah. And what I like about 
well, like it's a strong word. I mean, I was not very keen on northern South America for the longest time yeah. uh, because of its infrastructural challenges. But now when you compare it to the risk that we have in security in some parts of Western Africa right now, yeah. and we're talking about the same geology, you could get the same infrastructural issues with power and water, but water is not an issue in terms of intake, it's more of an outtake in terms of uh, contamination rather than the lack of water. Yeah. Uh, but you got the same rocks. Exactly. You know, exactly. and so, uh, you know, two of the projects that have been built over the last two years have been in Northern South America with Ghana Goldfields and yeah. Newmont's Marion. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're more interested in that area now. It's interesting how that's flipped. Because everybody, maybe three or four years ago, yeah. West Africa, West Africa, and you saw some of those greenstone belts, let's say in Guyana, British Guyana. or And, and like I said, with Barrick, they yeah. have a joint venture earn-in with, with Alicanto in Guyana. In Guyana. I've heard that, actually, yeah. that Barrick's been looking down there. Yeah. And uh, I also heard Robin Ewing's been down there. And, yeah. yeah. And, and obviously yeah. Newmont's already in it yeah. because they built it, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're more keen on the area because they've already got a footprint there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, Joe, I could talk to you all day about all this stuff, but I'd like to thank you once again. Uh, this has been Joe Mazumdor with Exploration Insights. Uh, Joe, do you want to uh, just let them know uh, about the website a little bit or a little bit about what you guys are doing right now? Or? Uh, I mean, they could go to the website yeah. and see what we're doing. Uh, we're going to be at the Sprott Conference, both Brent and myself, okay. in July. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, there's free stuff on the website, like that uh, Too Big to Fail issue. Yeah as yep. well as the fatal flaws that they can look at. And yep. uh, check out the website is www.explorationinsights.com. Perfect. And once again, this has been Joe Mazumder, and I'm Matthew Keeble with the Northern Miner Podcast.